Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I myself uh, have been in a food coma for the last couple of days. So I hope you all had great family time, good food, good laughs, and you're ready to hop back into some episodes. So today we are going to cover Teresita Bassa. Um, and it's a very interesting case to me because it's not only you know a little spooky paranormal but it's a true crime case and you know most of the time you don't get a mixture of two and one so we get a two for one today so i hope you guys enjoy instagram posts are already up and going if you have not joined instagram please join we have about 148 followers on instagram uh 1.2k on facebook and I'm just trying to expand, so please share, please like, please comment, rate um, the podcast. And let's get into it, guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So born in 1929 in the Philippines, Teresita Basso was a single child of a wealthy couple. She was successfully graduated from Assumption College in Manila, after which she moved to the U.S. in hopes of earning a better life, earning more money, and just being happy with herself. She even went to earn a master's degree in music from Indiana University. Even though music played a huge part in her life, Teresita ultimately chose quite a different path than she thought she was going to take. She actually decided to work in the medical field instead and trained to become a respiratory therapist at a hospital in Chicago. She had no enemies that anyone knew of in her life. Um, she was pretty easygoing. She was loved by her co-workers at the Edgewater Hospital, adored by her classmates at Lolia University in Chicago, where she worked on her thesis, and of course, loved by her family members and friends. Now, fun fact about Edgewater Hospital, where she became a respiratory therapist, uh, the facility was located just outside of Chicago, Illinois, once boasted Frank Sinatra as a patient, and was the birthplace of serial killer John Wayne Gacy and Hillary Rodham Clinton. Just saying. That's a little fun fact for you guys. In 1977, Teresita was 47 years old. She was happy with her life. She got a job. She was living in Chicago, working at the Edgewater Hospital as the respiratory therapist, as I mentioned. She had also just gotten back to school and she was studying extremely hard, working on her doctoral thesis in music at Lolia University. Um, in her spare time, she also held piano lessons at her apartment for like children or adults. She just wanted to help people learn music. On February 21st, she headed out to work a shift at the hospital. She then returned to her apartment located at 2740 North Pine Grove Avenue. Now, about 7.30, 
She received a phone call from her good friend, Ruth Lebo. Think that's what you say? I could be wrong. Okay. I did try. I did try. We'll just say Ruth. Okay. Teresita and Ruth talks for, you know, about like 20, 30 minutes before they ended their call. Um, she explained that she was expecting a male visitor, like a friend. And Ruth really didn't ask any information about the guy because, you know, Teresita didn't really tell her anything. Now, I kind of wish she would have been a little bit more nosy as a friend because me as a friend, I'm like, who? Where? What's he look like? Is he a murderer? Like, I ask all these kind of questions, but not everybody's like that and people respect people's privacy, so it is what it is. But around 8.40 p.m., Teresita's neighbors from down the hall began smelling smoke, but they couldn't really tell where it was coming from. So deeply concerned, neighbors married and Catherine, I had to say her name slow because I'm dyslexic, don't come for me. Um, they called the janitor, who was, you know, the building janitor, who inspected and straight away he called the fire department in Chicago. Now, they began evaluating all of the residents. Um, they rushed into the building. They tried to put the fire out. Now, um, Merritt and Catherine's apartment, it quickly filled with smoke. So they were trying to figure out where the source of the fire was. Finally, after trying to investigate a little bit, apartment 15B was the source. And can you guess whose apartment that was? It was Teresita's. They gained access um, to her apartment. I'm sure they, you know, hit the door down. Um, they were able to put out the fire in mere minutes. Once the blaze settled down, they found some something pretty horrifying. Um, the fire hadn't been accidental, it appeared, because on the apartment floor, under a bulky mattress, laid Teresita's body, and she was completely naked, and in the center of her chest was a kitchen knife. Now, detectives were immediately called to the apartment after everything with the fire was settled. So when investigators got there, they quickly confirmed that it was indeed a homicide. Apparently, whoever had murdered Teresita had started the fire in order to get rid of any evidence and the crime itself. Now, after stabbing her, the killer threw a pile of clothes excuse me, on top of her, um, and then they lit that on fire. That's how they started the fire. Now, since she was completely naked, they kind of assumed that maybe she was either raped or like sexual assault, something of the sort, but her autopsy kind of went against those assumptions because they found nothing of the sort on that. Now, this left detectives absolutely baffled because they were like, what the hell happened? Like, she's naked, there's no sexual assault, nothing was taken from the apartment. They had no idea what was going on at the moment. So even though the fire pretty much destroyed any potential evidence and, you know, kind of made it extremely hard to solve what was going on, um, it was extremely clear to the detectives at the scene that there was a struggle that ensued right before her death. Um, it was absolutely wrecked inside of her apartment. Now, unfortunately, though, police weren't able to determine whether anything was missing from the apartment during their investigation. Um, not only because they didn't really know what she had in her apartment to begin with, and there wasn't really anyone to confirm what she had as far as belongings. So, 
they didn't really dismiss the notion of robbery, but they also weren't able to declare it was a motive. So they just kind of had to go with what they found. And what they found was kind of, it was pretty interesting. It was at least a lead, unlike what they had before. They had nothing. So they searched her entire apartment for clues that might still be there. Um, but, you know, fire destroyed everything besides one of the few objects, right? So they found a note that Teresita had handwritten. Okay. The note said, get theater tickets for AS. So initials AS. Now, of course, detectives were like, who is AS? You know, it's just initials. We don't have anything to go on. Now, however, they decided to put their focus on the note, the initials, because that's all the lead that they had. You know, they didn't have anything else. Everything else was gone. Now, over the next several weeks, homicide investigators interviewed Teresita's neighbors, her friends, co-workers, classmates, anybody and anybody they can get to. Her close friends described her as a quiet and reserved woman who was extremely dedicated to her job and highly praised by patients. So she was an extremely lovely woman from what everyone said. Now, over the course of the investigation, detectives learned a lot about Teresita's personality and her hobbies like one would while investigating a murder. However, the information they had collected about her didn't get them any closer to finding anything about who killed her. Now, they reached out to the general public for assistance, but they didn't really get a lot of callbacks and no leads really came about. So sadly, detectives weren't able to come up with any solid leads and her case kind of went cold after a few short months. Um, many believe this marked the ending of her case and her life, you know, unfortunately just was taken by a killer and he was still out there somewhere. Now, in July, 1977, Something sparked the case again, right? So after Detective Joe Strala uh, came to work one morning and found a note on his desk instructing him to call the Evanston Police Department to discuss the Bossa murder. He was curious now. Um, he called immediately to see what the heck was found because, like I said, it went cold. They didn't really have anything. So, the officer who picked up told Detective Schwala um, that they had received a call from a person claiming to have information about her murder. He was then told to get in touch with Dr. Jose Shua, a man who lived in Shoki, a small village in Cook County, Illinois. Along with his partner, Detective Lee Eplin, Detective Schwala made an appointment with a doctor he arranged an interview to go to his house. Now, Dr. Shua provided them with some valuable information about the case and, you know, a little bit of tidbit that they didn't really see coming. <laughs> now, Dr. Shua appeared pretty hesitant, almost kind of like embarrassed to tell what he knew exactly. Um, but after several minutes of like that awkward small talk going back and forth, he finally, you know, asked them, the question, right? Do you believe in the occult or any supernatural forces? Now, of course, the detectives were like, excuse me? <laughs> and they just kind of looked at each other. They were trying not to be, like, judgmental. 
Um, because, you know, a lot of people are just like, ha, that's fake, whatever. You know, like, they were trying not to be that way. They were trying to keep an open mind. So, they just continued to talk to him. They were willing to follow his lead. So, they talked to him about it. Now, the doctor then proceeded to tell the pair of, of detectives that he believed his wife, Remy, was being possessed by a Teresita spirit. Now, Remy was also from the Philippines. Um... And we'll kind of get into the connection later, but I'll go ahead and say they did work in the same hospital. Now, Dr. Chua explained that she had started having really vivid dreams, really odd dreams involving Teresita. Um, according to Dr. Chua, Remy had tried to ignore her dreams, but one day while she was asleep, um, she was kind of like uh, talking in her sleep, is how he described it. Um, and it was weird because he, he said it was possessed, but um, she appeared to be like asleep but talking. But here's the weird part. She was speaking in Boss's native tongue, um, which is Tagalog. I hope I said that right. A language um, that she also knew, but she didn't really speak it. You know, like she just spoke English. So, quote from Dr. Chua was that she said, Quote, Doctor, I would like to ask for your help. And that was her first words to him. The second part was, quote, The man who murdered me is still at large. End quote. Now, he said also the voice that she was speaking in was not of his wife. It was a completely different voice he has never heard before that came out of Rumi's mouth. So, just saying. Now, another quote was, um like him talking about this during the pretrial hearing. He said, quote, I was really surprised and scared when I asked for her name and she answered Teresita Basa. Um, now, she did answer this in her native tongue, so I can't pronounce her name in that, so I'm not even going to try. Um, I don't want to butcher it. So, um, he later told a pretrial hearing um, also quote, but she told me I had nothing to be scared of. She was really pleading for help to solve her murder, end quote. Now, he described that Remy seemed to be almost comatose while talking to him. Um, he was pretty much just startled by the entire event, and, you know, she just kept trying to get help. So, she claimed that she had been killed by a man named Alan Shari. Uh, furthermore, she begged Dr. Chua to go to the police please take this piece of information, go to the police, and help me solve my murder, right? She revealed that Alan had came over to her apartment to fix a few things with her TV, but ended up killing her. Now, ultimately, the voice coming from Rumi's mouth made a final plea for him to call the police and let them know, and she woke up. Now, when she woke up, though, she had no memory and no knowledge of what just happened. She, you know, she didn't remember. So, uh, the doctor informed her of the things she said, and she's like, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> now, Dr. Chua, still kind of startled by what he witnessed, made the decision to let it go and forget about it. He just was like, you know what, maybe it was just like a fluke, I don't really know what's going on, but he just decided to ignore it. Now, the following week, however, it happened again, and yet again... Remy fell asleep and soon after started talking to him in the same voice as what he heard before. This time around, Teresita was angry. She wanted to know why he hadn't done anything, 
with the information that he she provided him, why he didn't go to the police, and he pretty much told her, well, I can't really do anything without proper proof, you know, of your claims. Like, I need proof that this actually happened. And the voice revealed that right before he burned her place down, Alan had stolen some valuable items from her apartment, such as, like, her unique pieces of jewelry that her dad bought her in France as a gift for her mom. Now, after stealing from her, Alan had given the jewelry to his girlfriend. Her voice gave Dr. Chua the names and the phone numbers of a few people who would surely be able to identify the jewelry that she was talking about. He was skeptical, you know, he was like, eh, but maybe it was worth it. So the following day, he called the police and an investigation pursued. Along with his partner, Detective Lee Eplin, Detective Schwala made an appointment with a doctor. He arranged an interview to go to his house. Now, Dr. Shua provided them with some valuable information about the case and, you know, a little bit of tidbit that they didn't really see coming. <laughs> now, Dr. Shua appeared pretty hesitant, almost kind of like embarrassed to tell what he knew exactly. Um, but after several minutes of, like, that awkward small talk going back and forth, he finally, you know, asked them the question, right? Do you believe in the occult or any supernatural forces? Now, of course, the detectives were like, excuse me? <laughs> and they just kind of looked at each other. They were trying not to be, like, judgmental. Because, um, you know, a lot of people are just like, ha, that's fake, whatever. You know, like, they were trying not to be that way. They were trying to keep an open mind. So, they just continued to talk to him. They were willing to follow his lead. So, they talked to him about it. Now, the doctor then proceeded to tell the pair of, of detectives that he believed his wife, Remy, was being possessed by a Teresita spirit. Now, Remy was also from the Philippines. Um... And we'll kind of get into the connection later, but I'll go ahead and say they did work in the same hospital. Now, Dr. Chua explained that she had started having really vivid dreams, really odd dreams involving Teresita. Um, according to Dr. Chua, Remy had tried to ignore her dreams, but one day while she was asleep, um, she was kind of like uh, talking in her sleep, is how he described it. Um, and it was weird because... He, he said it was possessed, but um, she appeared to be, like, asleep but talking. But here's the weird part. She was speaking in Boss's native tongue, um, which is Tagalog. I hope I said that right. A language um, that she also knew, but she didn't really speak it. You know, like, she just spoke English. So, quote from Dr. Chua was that she said, Quote, Doctor, I would like to ask for your help. And that was her first words to him. The second part was, quote, The man who murdered me is still at large. End quote. Now, he said also the voice that she was speaking in was not of his wife. It was a completely different voice he has never heard before that came out of Rumi's mouth. So, just saying. Now, another quote was, um like him talking about this during the pretrial hearing he said quote i was really surprised and scared when i asked for her name and she answered teresita basa 
Um, now, she did answer this in her native tongue, so I can't pronounce her name in that, so I'm not even going to try. Um, I don't want to butcher it. So, um, he later told a pretrial hearing, um, also, quote, but she told me I had nothing to be scared of. She was really pleading for help to solve her murder, end quote. Now, he described that Remy seemed to be almost comatose while talking to him. Um, he was pretty much just startled by the entire event, and, you know, she just kept trying to get help. So, she claimed that she had been killed by a man named Alan Shari. Uh, furthermore, she begged Dr. Chua to go to the police. Please take this piece of information, go to the police, and help me solve my murder, right? She revealed that Alan had came over to her apartment to fix a few things with her TV but ended up killing her. Now, ultimately, the voice coming from Rumi's mouth made a final plea for him to call the police and let them know, and she woke up. Now, when she woke up, though, she had no memory and no knowledge of what just happened. She, you know, she didn't remember. So, uh, the doctor informed her of the things she said, and she's like, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> now, Dr. Chua, still kind of startled, by what he witnessed, made the decision to let it go and forget about it. He just was like, you know what, maybe it was just like a fluke, I don't really know what's going on, but he just decided to ignore it. Now the following week, however, it happened again, and yet again, Remy fell asleep and soon after started talking to him in the same voice as what he heard before. This time around, Teresita was angry. She wanted to know why he hadn't done anything with the information that he she provided him why he didn't go to the police and he pretty much told her well i can't really do anything without proper proof you know of your claims like i need proof that this actually happened and the voice revealed that right before he burned her place down alan had stolen some valuable items from her apartment such as like her unique pieces of jewelry that her dad bought her in france as a gift for her mom now, after stealing from her, Alan had given the jewelry to his girlfriend. Her voice gave Dr. Chua the names and the phone numbers of a few people who would surely be able to identify the jewelry that she was talking about. He was skeptical, you know, he was like, eh, but maybe it was worth it. So the following day, he called the police and an investigation pursued. So, of course, they started to investigate per the doctor's claims. Now, even though they were kind of skeptical, his claims did kind of make sense and they were kind of reasonable, you know. They, um, as soon as they found out that Alan Showery, the name's A.S., matched the initials on Teresita's handwritten note, A.S., about the theater tickets, they were like, you know what, this, uh, this may go somewhere. So they decided to run a background check on Alan. Now, the background check revealed he lived near Teresita. Even more suspicious was that he also worked at the same hospital in a different department. Now, after talking with several of Alan's co-workers, they discovered that, indeed, Alan did go and try to fix Teresita's TV. Co-workers confirmed it because they overheard Alan talking about it. Now, you know, this kind of blew their mind because if you remember, the doctor, whenever, you know, Remy was 
comatose and per him possessed, she mentioned the TV. So they kind of confirmed that. Now at the point, um, excuse me, at that point, <laughs> words, I tell you, um, investigators decided it was time to pay Alan a visit. So they went by unannounced. They found him with his girlfriend, Yanka. Um, they were just kind of like hanging out at home. They'd done a little bit of small talk with them, and then they were like, you know what, Alan, we need you to come to the police station. We got a few questions. Period. Um, they told him that they were investigating the murder of Teresita, and because he was one of her acquaintances, they hoped that he would be able to help shed some light on some stuff. He agreed, didn't have any questions. They went to the police station. Now, during the investigation there, um, Alan denied that he ever went to her apartment. He was like, no, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, they then said, you know what, we know that's not true because your co-workers at the hospital overheard you talking about fixing her TV and that you went to her apartment. Um, so at that point, he was just kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, so he changed his story. He then admitted, you know what, I actually did go to her place. Um, but once I arrived, I found that I didn't have all the tools that I needed, so I told her I would come back another time. Now, he stated that when he left her place, he went back to his place, um, and, you know, supposedly him and his girlfriend were dealing with some electrical problems at the time, so he wanted to go home and fix those, is what his excuse was. Now, even though detectives still couldn't comprehend, you know, that they were following a spiritual lead, pretty much, they were less skeptical because things started, you know, coming together. They were like, okay, so this is true, this is true, and they were like, maybe this actually is going to go somewhere. Um, now they, while they were interrogating him at the police station, I say interrogating that, you know, softly. They were questioning him at the police station. Um, they decided, you know, we kind of want to talk to your girlfriend. So they put a hold on his conversation with them, went to the girlfriend, sat down with Yanka, and she told detectives a completely different story. She said, I don't remember any electrical issues. We didn't have anything like that going on. She also mentioned that even if there were problems, Alan wouldn't know how to fix them anyway. He doesn't know how to do that. So detectives then asked her if she had received jewelry from Alan, because you remember um, the spirit said, uh, Teresita's spirit had told the doctor, he stole my jewelry, gave it to the girlfriend. Guess what? She told them that he had gifted her a few antique or unique pieces of jewelry back in February, calling them her belated Christmas gift. Now, at the time of their investigation, Yanka was wearing the jewelry and pointed to the pendant that she was wearing and a gold pearl ring on her finger. Now, upon seeing the jewelry, the detectives asked her if she would be willing to follow them to the police station. So she also got brought in. Also, just a tidbit of information. Some suspects did come through during their investigation other than Alan. Um, you know, they pursued several leads in the beginning. They were all dismissed. Um, they suspected that A.S. may have been involved in the crime, but they didn't know what the initials stood for at first. And they also investigated a boyfriend 
whom Teresita allegedly argued with, um, but that ultimately was also dismissed, so. Now, of course, like Alan um, agreed, she also agreed to be questioned. So, you know, it was kind of obvious that she had a little bit of an idea what was about to go down. Um, she kind of acted like, I don't know, like, just kind of like she knew. Um, so they, the, they, the detectives, words are hard today, guys, I'm sorry. Um, the detectives arranged to have, like, all of those people that were able to identify the jewelry of Teresita to come to the station and, like, see, right? So what I'm assuming is they had, um, Yanka in the interrogation room. You know, they got that little window that's a one see-through kind of thing. And they were on the other side. That's how I think it went down. I don't really think they would be like, uh, you know, go in the same room and look at that, you know. Anyway, so they pretty much had everybody come down to the station. Now, once that group arrived, they took one glance at the jewelry and was like, yes, that is Teresita's. Um, nobody else really had that that they knew of, and that was hers. They confirmed it. Now, right after Alan was confronted with what they had just discovered about the jewelry, he immediately confessed to Teresita's murder. Like, that was it. He had no more excuses, no way to run around it. It was done. Now, Alan revealed that he decided he was going to pretty much just rob Teresita's house and, like, steal her valuables, um, maybe some money if he found it, because he needed to pay rent. Um, <sighs> people. Yeah, he needed to pay rent. They didn't really have the money. He was going to rob her, pretty much in a nutshell. Now, since Teresita was expecting him to fix her TV, um, she was going to gift him the theater tickets as a thank you gift. So, she pretty much just let him into her place. Like, he was there to fix the TV, why wouldn't she let him in? Um, as soon as she turned around, I'm assuming to walk towards the TV, Alan attacked her and beat her. He told the cops that he stripped her naked, hoping that it would kind of throw him off, thinking it maybe was like a rape or sexual assault or something in that manner. Um, but that's why she was nude. Now, he stabbed her once in the chest. Now, however, his malicious plan to get enough money for the rent failed. Of course. Now, he was on... It irritates me. Guess how much you got, guys? How many dollars do you think he found? Leave a... Leave a um, Facebook or Instagram comment. Okay. But, uh, yeah. He found $30. Or about $30. Snatched the ring and the necklace. A little bit of jewelry from a room. Uh, to make it worthwhile. Because there was no money. There was no, you know, a lot of jewelry. There was nothing. So, $30 and a couple of pieces of jewelry. Didn't make rent. Right? So, he done the fire to cover up the evidence, to destroy stuff. Um, soon after his confession, he was charged with murder. He went on trial January 21st, 1979. Now, the jury couldn't really make a decision. I'm not really sure if that was because he pleaded not guilty at first, or if it was because they were going based off of a spiritual connection uh, for evidence. So... He awaited retrial in prison. Now, during his time there, he had a change of heart, like they all do, right? He decided, you know what, I'm going to plead guilty. Uh, so he can get a sentence reduction is what he thought. 
He was given 14 years for murder, four years for arson, four years for robbery. Now, rumor has it, he decided to plead guilty after Teresita's spirit paid him a special visit in prison in his cell. Now, of course, some people also say Alan's lawyer convinced him to plead guilty because it would be in his best interest. Either way, eventually Alan served only five short years. Five years for doing that to that woman. Irritates me. Uh, yeah, five years he was out. He was released on parole. Um, now, of course, this um, story reached like all across America and Canada and like it was in several newspapers um, about like an eerie ghost story about a spirit who helped solve her own murder. Now of course uh, you know the story still seems kind of crazy and unbelievable to some. The detectives on the case that were involved in solving her murder insist that Teresita's spirit was definitely involved in serving, uh, solving her own murder. So, they definitely believe now, uh, they are believers now, that yes, her spirit did lead to her killer, um, as, you know, as well as solving it. So, she solved her own murder, and that's what the detectives believe. What everybody believes, eh, you know, it varies. Now, Now, of course, while detectives believed that, you know, her spirit was involved in solving her own murder case, others didn't really go along with that, right? You got skeptical people of the paranormal, and they were like, heh, no. So, here's some things that they had possibly, like, thought of, uh, theories um, of how maybe uh, Remy knew so much. So, uh, Remy and Teresita had met before at the hospital because they did work in the same hospital, just different departments. Uh, Remy also worked at, um, uh, what is it? Damn it. Now, while police believe what they believe, others believe, you know, they're skeptical. They're like, eh, I don't really think a spirit could do that. So, this is kind of some theories of what others, you know, came up with of a possible explanation other than a spirit told Remy, right? So, Remy and Teresita did work in Edgewater Hospital together. I don't know if it was the same department or not, but they were both respiratory therapists. Uh, so, they did cross paths here and there. Now, in addition, Remy worked with Alan as well, and some argue that she didn't really like him at all. So, you know, was Remy actually possessed by the spirit of a woman she only encountered a few times? Eh, maybe, maybe not. People, people don't know. So, it seems to be that she suspected that Alan had killed Teresita, but she didn't really know how to tell police or, you know, go about getting him checked out otherwise so they think that she may have made up the whole thing about being possessed and she got her husband in on it and you know since they didn't have any other leads they just kind of believed it now other people are like no that's not really reasonable explanation it just you know arguments back and forth um it is what it is you believe what you want to believe on the story i believe 
yes, spirits can come to you in your dreams and tell you things. Um, it's happened to me. I have those kind of gifts. Um, it's happened. And, you know, people don't believe it, and that's fine. You can believe what you want to believe. You don't have to believe everything else everyone else does. So, just some extra kind of notes. Um, <clears throat> the case kind of aired, like, April 25th, 1990. Um, and... Sorry, it took me a brain moment. Uh, so it was one of the few profiled um, cases that had been solved prior to broadcast. So it was mainly focused on supernatural aspects surrounding the murder. Um, it was also documented in the book Houses of Horror by Richard Weiner and the movie Voice from the Grave. And it also served an inspiration for a fact segment on Beyond Belief. Now, where she is laid to rest, this is a guesstimate based on my research here. Um, it's like a cemetery in the Philippines. Um, it's called Dumaguete Roman Catholic Cemetery. Um, I found it on findagrave.com. It's, it's a website that I normally use to find where people are uh, laid to rest for the cases um, if I can't find it per like research. So the memorial ID is 205-142-201. Uh, you can leave like virtual flowers on there, like a little note. Feel free to do so. Um, I just think it's a cool little concept. Um, other than that, I have some pretty cool Filipino culture that we can kind of go over to add to. Um, so this is just some of the cultural beliefs for spirits and some urban legends that we're going to get into. Now, while Teresita's story may sound impossible or unbelievable for some people, tales of spirits and souls are extremely common in the Philippines. Of course, they differ per ethnic group in the country. Um, but the main concept of spirits in the Filipino culture includes both souls of the living and souls of the dead. Now, the origins of spirits in the Philippines come from sacred indigenous religions, where each religion has its own idea on soul composition. Now, retaining and caring for the spirit and issues concerning the passage of the soul after one dies. Now, in some instances, souls are provided to humans by certain sacred deities, while other ethnic groups believe that souls come from special regions across the land. Now, some groups in the Philippines believe that people have two souls, while others say five. Many Filipino groups believe that a person's mental and physical state contributes to overall health of their soul. In some cases, if a soul is lost, the person will become sick and may end up dead. However, some claim that the body can still live on despite the loss of all of its souls. Due to the linguid... I already knew I was going to get tongue-tied. Don't even come for me, okay? <laughs> Give me two seconds, okay? I'm going to try, I'm going to try. Words are hard. Linguistic diversity of the word ghost. Words like espirito and molto... Um, don't come for me. I looked it up, but I'm still not good with Spanish pronunciation. <laughs> I've avoided it all this time. 
but um <laughs> yeah so that have become an all-encompassing term for spirits of the dead in Filipino culture. Now, unlike in the West, where ghosts are normally considered like evil, spooky, uh, paranormal, whatever, good, bad, you know, that kind of thing, spirits of the dead in different Filipino ethnic groups are actually rewarded, excuse me, regarded in a high esteem. So, these spirits are pretty much far from spooky. So, instead, they're treated as a wise ancestral spirit who can guide and protect their loved ones and the general community. In many cases, they're actually, like, venerated and deified. So, they just kind of think of them something beyond a spooky little spirit floating around, you know, that kind of thing. It's more of a spiritual um, connection versus a ghost or I don't know how to really explain it but there's a difference um, in our culture versus theirs about spirits because you know they hold it to a higher standard than what we do is the best way I can put it so just some of the urban legends um, that I found here uh, which is Capre which is like a nine foot tree demon so He's like muscular, dark skinned, he smokes cigars, uh, hides himself from human sight, lives in large mango and uh, banya trees, plays pranks on passerbyers or travelers. Um, they like to laugh and like, you know, poke prod, whatever. So some travelers have reported hearing laughter and seeing eyes glance at them from the treetops while they were around those kind of trees. The next one is Kuma Koktok. Um, I hope I said that right. I listened to Google a million freaking times, okay? Now, it's like a, a trio of spirits kind of thing, or entities, whatever you may say. Um, it's a trio. So they go to houses in the middle of the night, knock on your door three times, um, and it's supposed to signal a upcoming death of a family member. Um, it's supposed to be like one young pretty female, two elderly men is what they look like. If you open the door for them, they disappear immediately. Um, people from like the islands in the Philippines used to paint white crosses on their door to scare them away. So, that was a, a thing. The next one is, um, D-Wind, D-Wind. And it's like a folk tale, but it has Latin American roots. So they're like small little elves. Um, they're mischievous, you know. They're playful. They dwell in people's homes and will usually present themselves to the landlord with good or bad news, depending on how well they are treated by them. Now, they normally live in the countryside, underground, or high up in trees. They usually wander around at noon and sometimes in the evening hours. Now, during these times of days, um, excuse me, during these times of day, it is not really unusual for parents to tell their kids to stay indoors. So, that's another one. Uh, I think we got like three more, so hang in there. The next one is Nuno. Um, it's a tiny goblin, okay. It dwells on top of anthill mounds, so it's really, really small. Um, it's depicted as an old ghost, long bearded man, easily disturbed and angered by anyone who upsets him. 
Uh, Filipino children are encouraged to keep quiet next to the Nuno and say things like Tabi Tabi Po, which is please let me pass, sir. Kids who destroy any hills by kicking or urinating or anything on them, uh, they're cursed by the Nuno. Their feet might swell up, their pee may turn black, they may start experiencing severe stomach aches and a number of other illnesses, is what is said. The next one I have for you is Oswang and uh, Mananangal. And they are like little malicious witch vampire hybrids is how they're described. Uh, for one, they're said to travel in the dark and hunt humans. Uh, these creatures are terribly sneaky because during the day the Oswangs um, or Oslings are in human form and they can shapeshift into other animals. Kind of like the SWs that we um, covered for the like one of our paranormal episodes. Um, we're not going to say the word. Um, anyway, they enter houses to drink human blood, steal corpses. They are attracted to human fetuses, tend to sniff out the scent of pregnant women. And they say resembles the smell. They say it resembles the smell of ripe jackfruit. Now, it's said that once the pregnant woman arrives home, the creature sticks his long tongue into the mother's womb to feast on her baby. That one's the most creepiest one that I found. It's weird. Um, yeah. The next one is the other one, the Mana Nangal. Um, so it's kind of like the other one, but it's a creature that feasts on humans. So they fly around at nighttime. They seduce men in order to munch on their internal organs. Um, to kill a to kill one, you know, one must find their torso and sprinkle salt or garlic on top to prevent it from joining the demon's upper half. Interesting, right? If their body is detached in the morning, the demon will die. Pregnant Filipino women sometimes leave small jars of salt or rice or, um, excuse me, raw rice, paired with the scent of burning rubber to shoo away the malicious demon from entering their home. And the very, very, very last one we have is uh, White Lady. So, the tale of the White Lady is an urban legend famous not only in the Philippines, but all over the world. Legend has it that the White Lady found its way into popular culture due to several scary movies that have been made about the topic. Now, the White Lady usually pops up and frightens drivers on dark, desolate roads. Uh, they first see her reflection in the rearview mirror, after which she usually just vanishes. One of the most famous White Lady stories from the Philippines is the White Lady of Baladet Drive. According to the story, a young woman who died in a car crash while driving across the uh, Baladet Drive since then, she wanders the area in the state of unrest. Now, you know, uh, I've heard of that one. The other one's not so much. I haven't really heard of any of the other uh, folklore or urban legends of the Philippines. I just thought they were interesting and just added, you know, some paranormal facts for you. So, that is all for today, guys. Um, don't forget to go check out Instagram. We have 158 followers now since uh, the beginning of the episode. Um, and we have still about like 1.2K on Facebook. So I'll post the Facebook group um, 
on the podcast episode, which all you really got to do is just go to Facebook. If you have one, type in Morbid Curiosity, a paranormal and true crime podcast. You'll see a logo that is ours, which is the green logo with the skeleton hand and the little, you know, magnifying glass. You can find it. It's pretty easy. Join us. I post updates. We talk. We discuss. Whatever. Share crime stories. Um, yeah. So, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I know it was kind of shorter than what I normally do, but it's the first day back after being sick. And hopefully next, you know, next, next week, you know, because we're bi-weekly, I will have a really interesting one for you guys. It may be a little ghastly. I ain't gonna lie. Um, the next one that I have in mind is pretty gruesome. Um, dumb me decided to look up something that was, um, what was it? Kind of involved. It's like a video of the crime <laughs> a while ago, and I literally threw up. So, <clears throat> yes. While I was trying to look for photos of, you know, just like regular photos, like, um, crime scene photos or our perpetrator, our victim. I came across the video link and was stupid and clicked on it. Don't do my mistake, but we'll get into it. Um, December. So we'll get into it. I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in. Please share, rate, subscribe, you know, follow, whatever, anything and everything to get our podcast up and going. Hope you have a good day. So the very last one that I have for you guys is the tale of the white lady. You guys may have heard about this one because it's not just popular in the Philippines. It's pretty much just all over the world. Um, it's pretty much like a white spirit of a lady who pops up on dark, desolate roads. You see her reflection in your rear view mirror and she vanishes. Um, one of the most famous white lady stories from the Philippines is the white lady of Ballot Drive. Um, story is there was a young woman who died on the road and she is still wandering the area and pops up in your rear view mirror kind of thing or on the road so that's pretty much it for the urban legends or folklore that I have found I hope you guys enjoyed the episode I know it's a little bit shorter than the other episodes that I previously did but I have a really gruesome one for episode 28 um, which should be coming out December 12th because um, we are bi-weekly. Um, let me just say before uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it okay but I am gonna say when I do post this episode please 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 refrain from looking up the video that is of the perpetrator's crime because it is still out there on the internet for everyone to watch. And it is very gruesome and very morbid. And a while ago, before I started the podcast, uh, when I first heard about it, I looked it up thinking, you know, how could this be an actual murder video? Well, it was. And I was extremely sick um, after watching it. Because it's, it's pretty brutal. Um, yes. So it is still possibly out on the internet. Please do not look it up. <clears throat> I was young and dumb. And I was just intrigued by the case. I wanted to, um, yeah, get more information. And I looked in the wrong place. So, and I'm scarred for life. So please don't look it up. 
whenever we air it because yeah you'll be scarred with me uh of course your discretion is advised on that one if you end up looking it up it ain't my fault told you so so yeah so for today's episode though that's all that i have um join our instagram join our facebook group we'd love to have you guys share review rate the podcast on whatever app or platform that you listen in um i appreciate all you guys for listening and tuning in every other week and i can't wait to share the next story with you guys enjoy your day well guys that's all for today's episode make sure you tune in bi-weekly we are every other monday for another riveting case where i will traumatize you more than you probably already are <laughs> so thank you for listening uh don't forget to check out the instagram at morbid period curiosity period tc podcast for photos related to each case that i cover feel free to send me spooky crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com and don't forget to rate the podcast on spotify and apple pod or whatever you're listening to us on um i do appreciate all you spooky listeners please stay kind stay spooky and for the love of god don't murder anyone <laughs>